in-depth conversations, matchup breakdown, everything a Steelers fan could want. This is Fourth Down in the Steel City with Chris Mack and Josh Taylor. And welcome into a post-game week one edition of Fourth Down in the Steel City. Kicked in the teeth is one way to put it. That's the way Mike Tomlin put it. It was all kinds of ugly from start to finish for the Steelers today. Losing 30-7 to San Francisco 49ers in their home opener. We are going to break it down from front to back, top to bottom, and try to find some sort of silver lining in this thing moving forward. I'm Chris Mack, Josh Taylor alongside Greg Finley, our intrepid producer, trying to ensure we don't end up at some point just throwing stuff at the wall and losing our minds over this one because it was bad, Josh. Like that, you And you could tell it was going to be bad from the very first drive on each side of the ball. Very first drive on each side of the ball. You've got a Steelers three and out, and you've got the 49ers essentially walking down the field. And they did. They walked down the field seven plays, 54 yards in less than four minutes after the Steelers went negative five yards on three plays. And that set the tone, and 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 it took off from there. Well, the good news for me is I have nothing in this room to throw against the wall because it's completely empty. It's not been a room that's still being renovated. So that's the one thing I got going for me at the moment. Uh, but you're, you're right. The, the, the way these first drives look for each team, and honestly, it, it's not even as much about how – you know, one team was just so dominant and one wasn't. It was more or less about how everything worked for one team and how everything didn't work for the other one. And for the Steelers, it was, you know, not as terrible as it probably looked on its face when you saw that first drop. Okay, Deontay Johnson falls, so you can't convert. And you're like, okay, that doesn't seem too terrible. But then San Francisco gets the ball, and they just start converting. They just keep going. And George Kittle on the fourth down, the guy who we didn't know if it was going to play, Right. He ends up playing and converts on the fourth down in that first drive. Pat and then Pete oh, falls yeah. over at the goal line. Bang. Pat P falls in the red zone and they score a touchdown. Now you're going, okay, now this looks a lot worse and it's more concerning. And it uh-huh. just it just snowballed from there. And you, you talk about we, we talked about this all week. We talked about the things that could go wrong or the things we could see from this team or the things that certain people were capable of doing. Well, Chris, all those things happened on San Francisco's end. At the same time, Nick Bosa yeah. didn't make that much of an impact as far as productivity, but his presence was felt. You knew he was yeah. there because he might not have gotten to the quarterback, but he made sure that someone else did if he didn't. And well, and, Debo and Samuel some those, and some of those other uh, guys we talked about on the defensive side of the ball, too. You know, uh, Fred man. Warner, um, uh, Hufanga came up big in a couple spots, Charvarius Ward, who at the last minute, we didn't know if he was going to play or not. He shows yep. up and he makes some plays. Um, and and that was just on the one side of the ball. And then, yeah, you, you go into the offensive side of the ball, Debo's making plays. And and, and it, Brock Purdy looked like – Brock Purdy looked like the first-round pick and Kenny Pickett looked like the Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. That's the best way to put it. And it's not even as much about how Brock Purdy was that spectacular. It's just no. Brock Purdy had the easier day because the guys around him were executing because Brock Purdy had time in the pocket. Brock Purdy had receivers that were staying on their feet and hanging onto the ball when he threw it to them. And Brock mm-hmm. Purdy also, here's where he is separated from Kenny Pickett. Brock Purdy's clock was a lot slower to borrow, to borrow the, uh, 
the um, the Clint Hurdle phrase, his heart well, beating a lot slower. Heartbeat, yeah. He was completing passes that were, you know, within 12 yards in front of him. He was doing the things that Kenny Pickett did not do. That's why Brock Purdy, you know, it wasn't that he looked, was that that greater an efficient game. He just did the things he needed to do. And the thing with Kenny Pickett last season in those last nine games when they went seven and two, the thing that made Kenny Pickett look so good was that he just did those small things he needed to do. And he couldn't do them today, Chris. He just yeah. could, for whatever reason. Whether it's him, whether it's people around him, whether it's pressure in his face, he just could not do those little things that he needed to do. Well, the game came down first, first and foremost, and and the Mike Tomlin quote, you know, we got kicked in the teeth in many different ways, is true in 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 what I think is the number one reason the 49ers won this game and won it so decisively. They did exactly what we talked about. I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday. They out physical yep. the Steelers. They yep. literally beat them up Josh in the trenches specifically their D line beat up the Steelers O line your point Kenny didn't have a lot of time uh, in a lot of instances and the run game had no room when they did try to use it before they got down big on the other side of the ball the 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 offensive line just ripped open holes for Christian McCaffrey And, and so you take a very good running back and they protected Brock Purdy pretty well most mm-hmm. of the time, although we'll get to T.J. Watt in a little bit. Um, <laughs> they 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 dominated up front on both sides of the ball. And when you get as dominated as the Steelers did up front, there's just you, – you could tell the, – the, the drive at the end of the first half aside, you could tell that they were kind of having their, their, heart, their heart snatched from them, right? Snatched right out of their chest. Oh, yeah. They were just oh, getting yeah. punched in the face. Well, they were they were snatching Steelers chains all day. It, it was, but Chris, my grandma so, gave me that chain. My grandma gave me that chain. But like we talked, like you said, we we talked about this, and I, I I could feel how some people were just like, "Why are you saying so much about this defense?" And my first response is, "A, have you actually watched them play before? Because if you're watching this game, going, are the 49ers always as good? Yeah, yeah, they're always that good." This was the number one defense in points allowed last season. This was the number one defense in yards allowed last season. This was the number two team in first downs allowed. They were number two against the run. They were this good all along. This was what they were. And I got to pull this up on my phone because this was something I saw the other day. It was a graphic. They've got the highest paid edge rusher in the league. They've They've got the third highest paid inside linebacker in average annual value in Fred Warner. They got the fifth highest paid defensive end in the league in total value at Armstead. They got the sixth highest paid defensive tackle in average value at Javon Hargrave. They have all these guys on this team that are really good at what they do, and they get paid really well to do what they do. And we even talk about how highly paid the guys on offense are. Because George Kittle, highest paid tight end in the league. Highest paid fullback in use check. Um, highest paid offensive lineman in total value in Trent Williams, whom I saw pulling on a running play, and it just yeah. didn't seem fair that that guy is pulling as a tackle and just clearing out entire sides of people. Highest paid running back at average annual value, Christian McCaffrey. And then Debo saying he's the seventh highest paid receiver in the league, but he's still making a good bit of money. But guess what, folks? When we talk about how good this team is and how highly paid these guys are today, you saw where the money goes. You saw why all these guys are getting paid so much, and you saw why people in San Francisco – including Sterling Bennett, who we talked to this past week, said, hey, it's Super Bowl or bust in San Francisco, yep. and you saw why on the field today. 
and you saw conversely, if you want to talk about what the second highest paid defense in the league, you saw one guy show up. Cam Hayward right. gets dinged up about halfway through, tries to come back, then leaves. Uh, Minka didn't show up except to get in a little bit of a scrum towards the end of the game. Pat Pete on and off, but mostly off uh, today, getting beat on the first touchdown by Ayuk. Uh, well, slipping and falling, but it also looked like right. he got beat there. Um, he and and you know the this is a defense, the Steelers defense, and that's also paid pretty well. But the difference was with the Niners defense. It's, it's across all three levels of the D where you have players right. who are compensated well. And this, once again, we were reminded, as I saw, I think Debo Samuel at one point, maybe Brandon Ayuk at another point, George Kittle on a, an occasion or two, run across the middle of the field with an inside linebacker desperately running after them in coverage. Mm-hmm. The same thing we've seen, a tradition unlike any other. I fully expect Jim Nance to come into my ear when he sees that and go, oh, here we go, right around Amen Corner. It's another Steelers inside <laughs> linebacker chasing a tight end or or a slot receiver. It happens constantly, Josh. That yeah. still hasn't been fixed. Now, I will say this. I thought it was interesting. I just saw snap counts come out, and Cole Holcomb led those inside linebackers with 52 snaps. Quan mm. Alexander had 45. Elandon Roberts only had 28. Now, he did not look great in coverage. I saw him leave one or two guys open in the middle of the field, but Elandon Roberts wasn't hired to cover people. Alanda exactly. Roberts was hired to come up and smack guys in the run game, which he did today. And you would suspect that that would have put him on the field more late in the game when the right. Niners were, had a, a greater propensity to run. But I found that interesting. Um, I guess the greater point here is that those question marks we had about those three spots on the defense, nickel corner, inside linebacker, and strong safety, they're still giant question marks. I'd say two of them pretty much got rendered moot as far as nickel corner and strong safety was concerned, because most of what you saw was either with the inside linebackers or with the corners on the outside. It was the corners on the outside that were having the rough day. The nickel corner really didn't need to be mentioned because you didn't see as much there. But the outside corners were, man, they were having they were having themselves a bad afternoon because you mentioned Patrick Peterson. Levi Wallace didn't look too impressive either. He had himself a day. And Chris, I feel, I, like I, wanna, I feel like I want to overnight some aloe vera to Levi Wallace's house to take care of those burns. Because I'm telling he's you, be, like, I mean, but you but you and I talked about this because we talked about the whole thing with matching up with McCaffrey and Kittle and Samuel. And sometimes you'll forget, oh, yeah, Brandon Ayuk is on this team. That's mm-hmm. exactly what happened. Kill. The, yep. You can tell the Steelers were like, okay, you can't let Kittle beat you. You can't let Samuel beat you because after a certain point, you didn't hear as much from Debo Samuel. You, you didn't hear as much from George Kittle. It was more or less just about making sure their presence was there, but you kept them contained. Christian mm-hmm. McCaffrey, there's a lot of people who can't stop Christian McCaffrey. This is where I remind people, good bit of trivia. Christian McCaffrey at Stanford, his last year at Stanford, he broke Barry Sanders' all-purpose yards record in a season for college football and didn't win the Heisman. Let's point that part that's just yeah. crazy. But set that set that to the side. You had these three guys, two of which eventually as the game went along, weren't as prominent. But McCaffrey, they could they did not have an answer for him. They had no counterpunch. They could not do anything with him. But at the same time, while you're trying to deal with those three guys, they had absolutely no answer for Brandon Ayuk. None whatsoever. So we can talk about what, what happened with the inside linebackers and nickel cornerbacks and the strong safeties. It didn't matter because the outside corners had the worst day of all torched. as yeah, far eight, as those, yeah. that group was concerned. 
eight catches, 129 yards, two touchdowns for Ayuk. And so, yeah, those guys. And, and for, somehow Joey Porter Jr. only ended up on the field for seven snaps. That, Weird. I, I, I mean, at some point in the second half of that game, not even in the second half, I'm thinking late second quarter, if I'm on the sidelines and I'm a, a member of the defensive coaching staff, and if I'm not a member of the defensive coaching staff, maybe I'm the head coach, I look around and say, hey, hey, that, that, yep, that's, that second round, yeah, the, we know the kid. Yeah, he used to be a ball boy mm-hmm. sometimes. You, you, you guys remember? Yeah, yeah. skinny. Yeah, uh, physical. Yeah, uh, Joe, smiles a lot. Joe, Joe, does anybody know where Joe is? Joe Porter, Jr. No, 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 not you, Joe. Stay in the stands. Joe Porter, Jr., yes. does anybody know? And it was like they had him on a milk carton. I don't understand it. It, it was odd for, for – it was hard, hard, for me, hard for me to see that. And there were a couple of times you saw him on the field – but they really didn't necessarily need to go in his direction because they were too busy picking on the veterans that they had. Maybe that's why, Chris. Maybe they want somebody thinking, hey, they're killing the veterans. Don't put the kid in there. He'll get cooked too. I, I can't really explain. Yeah. That's one of those things you'd have to probably talk to his position coach and his coordinator about. And that's stuff that they go over during the week. And usually when it comes to who's going to play and how much, that's something that the position coaches and the coordinators usually dole out and they kind of, work with the head coach to sort that out. So clearly they thought their veteran guys were the better option for a game like this, but no, they weren't because that didn't work too well either. So now my question would have been when you get to the second half of the game and, and San Francisco started to empty their bench a bit, they started shuffling some guys in late in the third quarter going into the fourth. You're like, all right, well, let's put this kid out here and see what he can do. I'm surprised that that didn't happen a lot sooner, but yeah. It, very, very curious with a guy that we that we heard that they were going to try to shuffle in as much as they could, despite missing that first preseason game. Only seven snaps in, in week one is kind of kind of alarming. Yeah, and a, a handful of injuries on that side of the ball too, or at oh, least yeah. a few. Cam, we mentioned him earlier with a groin. Uh, the Marvin Leal, a tricep arm injury. Um, those two are big. Um, mm. Leal, not as much because they were rotating guys in at, at, at that spot. But I think when you lose both of them up front, well, now we're talking about a defensive front that's already getting beaten up by the Niners' offensive front, ripping holes open. And now we're taking pieces out of that. Ogan Joby was less than 100% as well. Yeah. Um, and that's how Christian McCaffrey ends up with 152 yards on the ground. They, they, they just, again, they just out physical them, they beat them up. I- now I, I'm I'm going to circle back to Levi Wallace here because he wasn't just burned in the passing game. That, oh, that touchdown that, run that he rattled off in the second half and that that first possession of the third quarter, Levi Wallace had a chance to bring Christian McCaffrey down to the ground and limit it to maybe a five or six yard gain. Uh huh. And he just couldn't even wrap him up. All he had to do was go and just <laughs> put arms or put arms around and like pull in one direction. He couldn't do it for. And, I and don't that's know a bat breaker the- too. That that play is. right there is is what seals the it. deal, because the the Steelers had actually established a little bit of momentum going into the half with the two minute right. drill and scoring the touchdown. And you thought, okay, maybe there's some life here. But when the Niners come out on the first possession of the second half and score, you go, all right, well, I, th- this book's been written. Well, there's there's two things I can respond to that. The the response to the first part about it, we talking about the two minute drill. Was that the Steelers finding a rhythm, or was that San Francisco saying, you know, we got a 20-point lead, the yeah, pass almost over, they're in two-minute yeah. drill. Let's back off a little bit and just not get beat too badly. Mm-hmm. Granted, they eventually got in the end zone anyway, so pretty good play call. 
pretty good play calling in the red zone. That doesn't happen that we've mentioned it a lot in this space. Well, during that drive, it happened. And also, perhaps Kenny Pickett's best throw of the day did yeah. that prior move to score that touchdown. One that might have been his really best nice throw throws. of the day. Yeah. yeah. Now, here's the problem. It was his best throw of the day, and it was his last one of the first half. That's a problem. That's no good. The second part of it is, it, let, let's change, let's take the scenario and flip it around. Let's say it's the Steelers with the ball. Let's say the Steelers run that play, and it's a Najee Harris or Jalen Warren coming through that gap, and it's a San Francisco DB coming to try to stop, try to stuff that gap and make that tackle. Do we think that happens with that San Francisco DB? He's making that tackle. That corner, whether it's Ward, whether it's Afunga, whoever it is, Lenore, mm-hmm. they're making that hit. They're bringing that man down to the ground, or they're holding him up for someone else. Yeah. To bring him to the ground. That effort on that touchdown by McCaffrey, it wasn't pitiful. there. Yeah, it was pitiful. not there. That is something where, and I'm one of those people where I think they blame the defense for a lot of stuff. That's on the defense there. Effort there is bad, and you got to be held accountable. They're going to watch that tape when they sit down for that, and someone's going to point at him and be like, "This can't keep going on. This can't no. keep happening because that was bad. That looked and really like you bad. pointed out. That's that's one of your veterans. That's that's that's, that's a veteran that's, that's guy. Not, that's not a Joey it's not Porter. Joey Porter, Porter. Yeah, it's not Porter. It's Wallace, and that's part of why I'm like, maybe they want to put the kid in there because the vets can't get it done. Well, maybe that is the reason to put the kid in there because the vets aren't putting out the effort. But you can't, you cannot have plays like that and try to stay in the game against a team like that. It's just not possible. The one silver lining to this whole defensive performance, the one silver lining that kept me from wanting to launch the entire defense into the sun was Trent Jordan Watt showed up in a big way, had all three sacks for this team, had two forced fumbles, I believe it was, Mm -hmm. Um, nearly recovered one. Uh, Brock Purdy just kind of laid on it like a beached whale and threw his arms behind himself. Um, But he had he had exactly the kind of game we thought he he might have. Um, He's the only guy, though, on that side of the ball that showed up. Um, If you get just one more guy showing up, in half the measure that T.J. Watt showed up, I think we're talking about a different game because you're not down by, t- uh, you know, two scores going into the half. You're not spending much of the first half just trying to get that one touchdown, right? Mm-hmm. You're, it, you're not, and and maybe it's it's something about the fact that they were out there as much as they were, but in that case, the rest of this, this defense is not in the kind of shape they need to be in because again, T.J. Watt was the only one that looked like he was prepared for. It was really the one topic that we talked about on the Steelers side of things that worked out because we talked to Sterling Bennett and he mentioned, hey, Colton McKibbins is the guy at right tackle. He's replacing Mike McGlinchey because McGlinchey signed in Denver as a free agent and got paid. We talked about that matchup. Hey, this might be a rough day for Colton McGlinchey. That's exactly um, for Colton McKibbins. That's exactly what it was because TJ Watt, not only did he really have the, the game that he had, he seemed to get stronger as the game went on. He seemed to get more intense and harder to stop as the game went on because you mentioned it. He forced two fumbles. He didn't recover the first one, but he made sure he got a hold of the second one. And I made the joke in, in our, our group text. I'm like, just build the whole plan out of TJ. Clearly that's what you need to do. Because he seemed to be the only guy that was really playing for anything. And, and this is one of those things where you talk to those, those you know more established veterans, and they're like, after a while, and this is something uh, Ike Taylor should talk about when I produce his radio show for him. He's like, sooner or later, you got to play for pride. You got to play because you represent you. You represent your family, your alma mater, your team, whatever. Sometimes you just got to play for pride. 
T.J. Watt looked like a guy who was playing for pride in that second half. He looked like a guy who was playing for pride in that entire game, and he was whooping Colton McKibbins like a guy who was playing for pride. All right, that's one side of the ball. Um, when we come back, we flip it over to the other side of the ball because I don't think any of us, especially after the way they performed in the preseason, expected the Steelers' offense to look this bad in the regular season. Plus, maybe a little bit of hope, maybe a little bit of a silver lining going forward. Just looking at the schedule, we'll get into that as well. As uh, week one is officially in the books, and it did not go the way anybody expected to. Steelers lose to the Niners 30-7. This, a post-game edition of 4th Down in the Steel City. <laughs> 